0: Hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine, and this is your Rattlecast for Tuesday, November 25th, episode number 19. Um, we're a few days out from Thanksgiving, and I uh, hope you all have a great Thanksgiving coming up. There's a big snowstorm blowing in, so I'm glad we can get this Rattlecast done. Before that does, we're going to get two to three feet of snow up here in the mountains. So I hope everybody stays safe and warm this Thanksgiving and enjoys some some time with your family. Um, of course, for those overseas, it's not Thanksgiving, but... Uh, Hope you have a great week, too. So today, uh, we have a great episode, as always, but especially especially good one today. It's one of my all-time favorite poets, and Bob Hickok. It's um, my time. It's a uh, quarter to the hour, so uh, if you are watching Archive, you can skip forward uh, about 15 minutes, and Bob Hickok will be on. I'll give him a call over Skype. But in the meantime, this is the pre-show, where we kick back and relax and uh, get on some comfortable pants. You can get your drink, whatever beverage of your choice you'd like to consume, Um, find a comfortable chair and uh, we'll do some pre-recorded poems we'll do some from rattle i think we'll start to mix in some open mic here in the pre-show too um and you know it's thanksgiving coming up and i was looking through uh, thanksgiving poems to maybe read on the pre-show but um yeah, you know, Thanksgiving poems tend to be dark. I think there's a, you know, poets tend to write about problems. I think poetry is a sort of, um, subconscious and emotional means of problem solving. And, um, so if you don't have a problem, there's really, it's hard to write sometimes. And so there aren't a lot of, um, Thanksgiving poems that are positive. We have, um, like Craig, um, Santos Perez is a uh, Thanksgiving, the Anthropocene. We have, um, uh, Michael Marks, the first Thanksgiving, exactly. But, um, Bob Hickok writes a little bit in his newest book about um, the Anthropocene, and last week we talked about um, the disappearance of animals and those kind of problems, too. I don't want to get so negative. So I thought instead of doing some Thanksgiving uh, poems, we would do—this is the time of year we do our Pushcart nominations, and I thought we would play a few Pushcart poems on the pre-show. So here, this first one is the only Pushcart nomination uh, from Poets Respond this year, and— it is by Amy Schmidt, and I don't really know um, anything about Amy Schmidt other than she lives in the Upper Peninsula of Minnesota in a tiny, tiny town. I think I, uh, I looked it up to see where it was, and it was uh, less than 100 people live there. And um, it's kind of fitting then that this is a tiny poem, but this was written in memory of Mary Oliver uh, when she died in January. And um, it's a beautiful, tiny little poem, and let's, let's go to that. So this is Abundance by Amy Schmidt. And uh, it's from January 20th, 2019.
1: Abundance. It's impossible to be lonely when zesting an orange. Scrape the soft rind once and the whole room fills with fruit. Look around. You have more than enough. Always have. You just didn't notice until now.
0: Once again, that was Amy uh, Schmidt reading Abundance from Poets Respond last January in memory of Mary Oliver. So congratulations to Amy Schmidt for the Pushcart Prize there. Um, I just thought it was one of those, you know, when I look back at the uh, Pushcart Prize possibilities, I just sort of flip through the different indexes we have and try to find the one that I remember the most, you know, and the poems that stand out as having had a big response and, and stand out in my memory. Like there are a lot of poems that I read, um... And just looking at the title, I could sort of recite, and images pop into my head, and that's the kind of poem that that we try to nominate for the Pushcart Prize. Um, Here's another one that we um, nominated for the Pushcart Prize. This is John Philip Johnson's The Book of Fly, and we just thought this was such a creative poem. Uh, John Philip Johnson, um, he lives in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he turns his poems into comic books. So his most recent book is actually called The Book of Fly, and you can check those out by going to johnphillipsjohnson.com, and he has at least two comic books full of poems, which are pretty incredible. Uh, And here he is reading The Book of Fly.
2: The Book of Fly for Mike Allen. Verse 1, Chapter 1. Feeding on the living is good, but feeding on the dead is better. One two. Nestle your offspring in the rancid. One three. The air is heavy. Let it work for you. But fly only until you find beauty. One four. Shit is beautiful. One five. Rub your hands together before you eat. One six. If you land on the wrist that holds the swatter, consider yourself lucky, not clever. One seven. Remain humble if you think of anything. 1-8. You only have a few days. Stay simple. 1-9. breed when you are able. 2-1. And when you are licked by the frog's tongue, or swallowed by a songbird, or felled in a cloud of nerve gas, and lie twitching, unconcerned, 2-2. Know that it is the honor of a fly. It is its purpose. To die.
0: And that was John Philip Johnson from Rattle Number 63, Last Spring's issue, with his poem, The Book of Fly. And um, just such a creative way to um, build some actual philosophy out of the life of a fly. It sort of um, works as a, as a religious scripture, I think. Um, let's see, we have eight minutes. Let's do another one. Uh, this is, uh, actually, let me do, I was going to jump in, and throw in an open mic poem here. And let's do that. 'Cause um I don't wanna I don't want to limit the open mic to the very end. So um this first uh, open mic poet is um Florence Jacquemin Weber from Paris, France. Um and she writes in French and English, mostly poems but also short stories. Uh she won the first prize in the Poetry Award at the Journée des Ecritures de Clunes, I-, I don't speak French, in 2018, and two of her poems will be published in the Flames Vives or Flames Vives 2019 anthology. And uh, here, uh, here is a open mic poem by Florence Jacquemin Vabre.
3: Hello, uh, this is Florence Jacquemin Weber from Paris. I'm going to read "Mist River," a poem uh, that I wrote about a year ago and that has been published in Crossways Literary Magazine online, and. There we go. Missed River I miss the river and its desert shores where I can linger, take care of my sores. A pale sun above my head, morning birds' sweet noise. Not knowing which way to tread, I let my mood flow with poise. Deep breath, solar feeling, the day is mine, so far, so slow. I enjoy life around, birds bickering in the soft wind and the fish's frenzied dance below. Worries and grief dissolve. Slowly I feel I can evolve to a serene mood nested in this solitude. Best is to taste the river with the tip of the toe lightly. It can cool any fever and turn gloom into glee. Here I now sit in a quiet place, on soft sands, half hidden from the shore, yet with a view to embrace, to let my thoughts wander towards the long-gone loved ones. I retrace, mind-talking with the dead, drowned in an elemental scenery, to soothe, to live, to mend, to offload the burden and the misery. I miss the river, always, as my father's there, always." in the everlasting current of our beloved river, my sweet spiritual current.
0: Once again, that was an early open mic. That was Florence Jacquemin Weber from Paris, France, reading her poem, "Mist River. Uh, I thought we'd throw in an, an open mic poem at the beginning of uh, each episode, too, just to keep it sort of mixed up. Um, and now let's do one more. Let's do one more poem before we start. Uh, Get these poetry gears flowing. This is uh, another Pushcart Prize nominee. This is Razak Malik Gabolahan. And uh, he lives in Nigeria. He's from uh, issue number 65. This is his poem, um, uh, What My Children Remember. And here it
4: comes. What My Children Remember. The sight of helicopters circling the sky on mornings, when the sky broke into shrapnel, falling on our robes, as we quivered out of the dread of being dead, as we crouched behind the doors, the hair emitting smoke, the cadence of bullets quieting the sound of the world, leaving us to steer deep into the residues of blasted things into the dreams turned to embers to things that slipped off our fingers as we held them like a baby thinking we could revive some things out of everything we toiled for for years under the sun far away from our families My children remember the mornings after houses became ruins. The sadness on the faces of those who managed to bury their beloveds after the blast. Those who resorted to singing a trinity every night for years. Those who dressed their hearts in grief as war buried their dreams. My children remember their schools left as wreckage. The streets where they walked before the blast becoming silent tallies, bereft of the usual talks of people walking home at night when the street lights beamed steadily, illuminating the world. My children remember the emptiness of waiting behind when home was a grenade raining everything, when home was a book full of the names of the dead, the dying. The ones lost to blast. The ones living home for exile.
0: And that was, uh, once again, that was Razak Malik Gubalahan. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at, um, at Razak Malik. That's R-A-S-A-Q-M-A-L-I-K. Um, and he was uh, the third... Third of our six Pushcart Prize nominees. I think we'll play the other three poems um, next week. And keep it a surprise a little bit. I haven't told anybody uh, what the Pushcart Prize nominees were this year. I um, just chose them this afternoon, uh, reading through all of the uh, poems we published this year. Some great poems uh, throughout 2019. So um, let's see. Bob Hickok is going to be on in two minutes. And uh, so I should say, uh, Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since or 1995, and uh, we're completely independent and unaffiliated with any other organization. If you'd like to call in on the open mic, let me see, uh, you can call uh, 818-850-7727. We are working on that now. We haven't had any... Um, anybody use this phone number yet. It's pretty new. Um, but if you want to Skype in, which is even better because then we can see your face, um, the Skype address is Rattle Poetry. So that'll be after Bob Hickok in about an hour we'll be doing open mics. And um, if you do call in instead of using Skype, it'd be nice to have something to put on screen. So hopefully you can read a poem that's been published online and tell me where to find it uh, on the internet and I will put it up that way. Uh, but for now, I am going to Uh, Throw up some music in the splash screen and give Bob Pickett a call, and we'll be back in just a minute. Thanks so much for joining us. So we're back, and I have Bob Hickok on the line. Uh, Bob Hickok, I have to say, is one of my original favorite poets. Um, Back when I was an undergraduate taking poetry as an elective, um, we had The Legend of Light assigned in our class. And then um, I uh, picked up Animal Soul 2, which had been out at that time. And um, he was one of the poets who made me fall in love with poetry. Bob Hickok is the author of nine books so far. Um, We're going to be reading from his uh, tenth today, Red Rover, Red Rover, which is... um, not out yet, so it's a kind of a preview of this book. We're really excited for that. Um, he's won pretty much every award you could win—Guggenheim fellowships and NEA stuff and all that jazz. Um, and let's just let's just meet Bob and get into the poetry. Um, let me pull him in. Bob Hickok, hello, everybody can see you and hear you. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm excellent. Um, and you're you're calling from um, for your office at Virginia Tech, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And um, um, so, so, do you want to start us out with a poem to um, get it? Flow? Sure. Uh, what do you want to start with?
5: It's called "Plans for the Day." Okay. Pancakes, the men's final at Wimbledon, carrying around the phrase "Where I go, I cannot follow" as a tryout epitaph. Looking at, probably working on the retaining wall above the culvert under the drive that was just replaced. Wondering a hundred times if our cat is getting better or dying less obviously. Taking the mountains for granted. Taking the mountains for granite. Hating puns. Loving the womb one word is of another. Thinking in odd moments of money. While brushing the teeth of our shark. While watching a cardinal peck at its reflection in a window. Do we have enough to retire and look at koi ponds as indulgences of people who need better hobbies? Do we give enough to people in need who is not a people in need? Beginning a letter to America, dear richest country in the history of ever, please share. Struggling for the next sentence, share everything, share now. Thinking of barn raisings. what our aversion to collective effort is on a larger scale. Remembering all the times I saw WPA on sidewalks in Ann Arbor and Detroit and New York and felt warm and whatever part of me loves people working together to give others a stable path forward as they make their way into the shine and tumult. Getting older, I will get older today. Add a B bolder today, add a C colder today. Add a moon visible in the afternoon, a ghost moon of the blazing moon to come, and maybe pizza, and maybe looking at Eve in the garden at dusk, forgetting everything but having hands amid the handless flowers that are nonetheless 5 petaled in how they reach for the sun. Go figure, go home, kiss your doorbell, your thermos from childhood, your fear of the dark. Kiss everything. Some small percentage of dust will kiss you back.
0: Thanks so much, Bob. And that was Plans for the Day uh, from your new book, Red Rover, Red Rover. Um, do you want to kind of uh, describe the, the themes of your new book? Uh, um, and, and when is it going to be coming out? Do you know yet?
5: I don't. Uh, there's, I have a, a book coming out next year. Mm-hmm. So this one will come out sometime after that.
0: Oh really? so this is your 11th book actually.
5: Yeah, I yeah. think. Um and no I don't want to I don't want to talk about the themes. I don't think too much about themes. Mm-hmm. Uh there are some things that come up a fair number of times. Um particularly climate change for mm-hmm. some reason. Well. Yeah, yeah. Not for some reason, I guess for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But otherwise it's just poems that I felt like putting together. Mhm. That kind of brings kind up of a that kind of
0: brings up a question I always wanted to ask you. It, it usually I don't care too much about the writing process, but for you, there's it's an exception because it feels it's always felt to me like um, there's no sort of difference between books. It's sort of like there's a continuous poem running through your head, and um, and you sort of tap into that vein sometimes, you know, and make a poem. Um, and it 's sort of amazing that there 's this voice that 's consistent through and and so creative and making all these leaps um uh, so how how do you confront you know writing projects like how does that um how does it work like how what 's your writing process like
5: um, My writing process consists of getting up, making coffee um going upstairs, and writing mm-hmm. and it 's It is something that I do it every day. Mm -hmm. Um, I basically finish a poem every day. Most of them get thrown out, Mm -hmm. thankfully. Um, But it is something that happens pretty much when I put myself in a particular chair at a particular time of day. Mm -hmm. And otherwise, I don't really think about it.
0: And, and do you revise? Because it feels to me like um, the, the uh, a blurb on your most recent book that's out is "Hold," and a blurb said that somebody would like to hook you up into an MRI machine while you're writing and uh, see what's going on in your brain. Um, and it, it just feels to me that the, the consistency of the creativity makes it feel like your brain is some kind of special brain. Like that's the sense I get too. <laughs> um, but do do the do the poems come out? Um, on their own? Like, is it a spontaneous process or do you go back and revise them? Cause you said you write a new poem every day. For the most
5: part, eh, I've come to think of poetry the way I go about it. And the way, there's a, there's a group of people who I think go about it this way mm-hmm. as performative. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do revise, but a lot of the work um, the way it goes out in the into the world is the way it came into the world. Mm-hmm. I, I, a lot of the the poems have not been changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that. It just it suits my personality.
0: Yeah, I think yeah.
5: a lot of what I'm trying to do is capture, in addition to whatever I happen to write about, What I think I'm really interested in is my mind in those moments. Mm -hmm. I really want a record of my mind at a particular point in time. Having said that, of late, there's a very different kind of poem I found myself writing that has required a completely different approach. Uh, A lot lot of revision. Mm -hmm. And it's been interesting to do that. Uh, because it's a it's a different experience for me.
0: Um, what what's different about those poems? Like in the style um, or the content? much
5: shorter, mm-hmm. much more lyric, um, mm-hmm. much m- more driven by compression, as you would expect mm-hmm. from shorter, more lyric poems. And it's interesting because the ones I'm working on now are, I think, in offshoot of the poems that will be in my next book, mm-hmm. which are also much shorter, much more lyric, but they happened really quickly. And I think there was something about writing shorter, more compressed poems that really interested me. But I didn't have... The the next book has a kind of unifying theme. It loosely, very loosely tells... The story of a couple
0: mm-hmm.
5: the stuff I'm doing now doesn't have that,
0: yeah, yeah, and
5: I think because it doesn't have the things that connective tissue, um, the poems just happen much more slowly, mm-hmm. and that's again, it's been an unexpected arrival, but I've enjoyed it, interesting. Um, people can ask questions on the chat. And David
0: Cook asked something uh, that kind of relates. He says, do you feel there are a cast of characters and voices that inhabit certain poems or collections?
5: No, not a cast of Mm -hmm. character or voices. My poems really are driven by the thing that's on my mind when I sit down to write. Mm
2: -hmm.
5: So the unity that you spoke of, I think, is substantially driven by that. We mm-hmm. tend to come back to the same things, whether we write poems or not. We tend to be driven by the same concerns, the same worries, the same joys. And I absolutely, that's reflected in my work. It's not so much a sense of character or mm-hmm. a, these, a cast of characters. Um, it's my head, for better or worse. And the, the person who wants to put me in the MRI machine, I think, just wants to torture me and make me listen to that banging. Have
0: you ever done an MRI before?
5: Yeah. yeah. Oh, they're, really? They're, they're delightful
0: machines. Yeah. Have you written any poems about an
5: MRI? No. No? <laughs> well, you Probably should. Probably have written many poems in an MRI machine. No, oh, really? Hmm. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you want to uh, get back to a few poems? Sure. Okay. Uh,
5: the description I carry in my wallet in case Eve goes missing and I go mute. Too peaceful to chew ice, too big for her bed in the dream of her dollhouse, too soft for a career in sandpaper, too angry with her mother, to curtsy to the Champs-Élysées, too kind to tell the sky it can be a real bastard. Too wet to be the out of body experience of rain, too expansive to be the thread to anyone's needle, too tired to fold napkins into swans, swans into ballerinas, ballerinas into eating disorders, too shy to be a forest fire, too introverted to be an orchid, too sad about her grandmother's death to trim a single branch from a single tree, even a dead branch, even a branch that has fallen that has evolved to a stick. Too honest to be the best friend of a mirage, gentle to play the tambourine, to make it as the executive producer of Star Search, to go out for drinks with a hostile takeover, too sad about her grandmother's death to die herself in case the dead aren't allowed to miss the dead. Too much like air not to be breath, too green not to be spring, too mortal to be one, of the floating women of Chagall, and too mortal not to be the appetite of his colors for the sun, too elsewhere when she is gone, too gone when I blink, too much of a garden for me to carry in my not enough pockets, hands, mouths. Do you you want to read uh,
0: maybe two more and then we'll, we'll answer a couple more questions? Sure. Okay.
5: More Than Whispers, Less Than Rumors. The river is high. I'd love to smoke pot with the river. I'd love it if rain sat at my table and told me what it's like to lick Edith Piaf's grave. I go along thinking I'm separate from trash day and the weird hairdo my cat wakes up with, but I am of the avalanche as much as I am its tambourine. The river is crashing against my sleep like it took applause apart and put it back together as a riot of wet mouths adoring my ears. Is over my head when it explains string theory and affection to me. When it tells me to be the code breaker, not the code. What does that mean? Why does lyric poetry exist? When will water open its mouth and tell us how to be clouds? how to rise and morph and die and flourish and be reborn all at the same time, all without caring if we have food in our teeth or teeth in our eyes or hair in our soup or a piano in our pockets, just play the damn tune. The river is bipolar but has flushed its meds. I'm dead but someone has to finish all the cheese in the fridge. We're a failed species if suction cups are important, if intelligence isn't graded on a curve. But if desperation counts, if thunderstorms are the noise in our heads given a hall pass and rivers swell because orchestras aren't always there when we need them, well then, I still don't know a thing. You were right. It is it is weird sort of having a, I mean, we're having a conversation, yeah, but I can't, I, I see the little image of you. Looking yeah, to your left. We're gonna,
0: we're gonna upgrade our equipment in maybe January or February so we can uh have, have right now there's already um the problem is there's already like video going three there's okay. three cameras for me and then there's and then my computer's handling so much it's already using uh forty five percent of the CPU. So I need to does upgrade that, upgrade my computer is what I need to
5: do. Does that say something about you that there are three cameras on you? <laughs> well only one is on me, but um
0: okay. <laughs> but uh but mostly, it's on poetry, so that's the way to go. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, let, let me ask another thing. Um, I, I, the one the one thing I have maybe noticed, and I wonder if you agree, or you might completely disagree, but I feel like your work's gotten a little more political over the years. And you mentioned climate change, um, and and you've written a lot of poems about um, the mass shooting problem that we have here in this country. Um, do you think that's a turn that you've taken? And um, the other thing I was wondering is that, if so, uh, do you think that it has to do with the Virginia Tech shooting, which um, we interviewed you in rattle number 28, which was uh, the spring of 2007. Um, so it was just a few weeks before that, I think. Um, if, I, if I have the date right, I forgot to relook it up. But um, um, do you think you've taken more of a political turn because of that? Has that had an effect on you? Or do you think... Um, you haven't taken a political turn? What, what do you think about that?
5: Excuse me. I think I've taken a political turn in the sense that I've included um, in some books more poems that are political or overtly political. It's always been a part of my work. Mm. I think particularly focusing on economic issues. Um I mean, my family, my immediate family, uh, particularly on my father's side, uh, there was a huge economic jump. I come from farmers, factory workers, uh, people who've not had much, and I think, um, not to get Lamarckian and say that there's some genetic memory of that, but there, there is a. I feel that, mm-hmm. and I've always been drawn to thinking about writing about people in need. I believe what's gone on is with certain books, I've just been more inclined to include more of that work. The proportion has changed in, in some books. Been, I've been more aggressive in mm-hmm. that regard. I've never wondered if the Virginia Tech shootings kind of opened me up more to that. I don't think they did. Mm -hmm. Guns, um, as long as I can remember, they've shown up in my work. A concern about their proliferation. Um, I regret to sometimes to a significant degree the extent to which I'll include political work because I think it's among the hardest. Stuff to do,
3: mm-hmm.
5: and in retrospect, I don't. I question those poems hmm. more than others. It's not their intent. It's not what they're going after. I just. I find it's difficult to step away from the content sufficiently. Yeah. Um, looking over this book, there are today. I found myself thinking, well. I'll cut down on the number of poems about climate change. I'm just mm-hmm. not as convinced by them. And yet I really naturally find myself writing about about that and about political issues generally.
0: Yeah, well, well I have to say first, um, your poem, In the Loop... Um, After that shooting um, was one of the reasons we started the Poets Respond series uh, where we published political poems. I remember reading that in poetry around 2010 or whenever that came out and thinking um, it would be really great to get poetry into the um, sort of the the public discussion um, and have stuff be timely enough. Like, uh, Like imagine if that poem had been able to be written right then and published right then. And that's why we do our poet's response series. I, you know there were a few poems there that came like that, but yours was a main one. Um huh. but what huh. do you think? Um um you mentioned that it's hard to write political poems, and I really agree. It's hard to you know, we get um, politics has really taken over the news cycle completely over the last, <laughs> you know, the last really? uh, few years. Yeah, really, it has.
5: <laughs> I've, I've, I've missed this. Yeah, what, what it's almost it's on? almost
0: like politics is all that exists, and um, it is really yeah. hard to write about political subjects because I think um, what you do, I always feel like you're sort of the purest poet I know. I don't want to flatter you too much, but um, but but I think of a, a poetry as people who sort of explore the um, grist of the subconscious, you know. And the problem with political stuff, it seems to me, is that you already know your political opinion, so it's so it's yes. so hard not to be didactic. And that's yes. the problem with all the political poems we receive, or, you know, the vast majority is that they're not really exploring; they're trying to relate something, and, and, and in doing that, they really end up being sort of more propaganda um, for yeah. your ideology than poetry. So how yeah. do you how do you deal with that when um, writing more political poems? I
5: I think to a certain extent, the ones the ones that I end up believing. In, um, they're made in a way that addresses what you're talking about. And I, I, th- I really like what you said. To me, I mean, there's this one of many cliche things we'll say about poems. But the people will say generally about art in the making of it if you don't surprise yourself it's probably not worth a damn. There should be moments, hopefully a lot of moments, where you're putting down something that you could not have anticipated. You, you had no idea that was going to show up. And I think with politics, um, I mean, if you think of where many of us are right now, Trump bad. If, if that's the extent of what you want to say, you probably knew that going into the poem. There has to be this sense of not just discovery, but furtherance of your existence, an extension of your life and mind through the act of writing. Uh, A poem should actually make you a larger person and that you see your mind reflected back and you're able to have a conversation with yourself in a way that you wouldn't probably if you're just walking around the house going to get new tires um, so I think the ones that work best for me, I, I have not sat down intending to write political poems. I think that's one of the advantages I have. Um, the, it's inherent to my approach that I almost never know what I'm going to write about. I just know I really want to write. So I, I go wherever the first few sentences take me. So if they go in a political direction, so be it. It's not something that I had um, sort of teed up in Uh advance. So there's a greater chance that I'll be surprised by what I do. But having said that, I think it's the nature of politics. Um, That there, you are more likely to encounter within yourself stuff that is kind of rehearsed that you're, you're well aware of.
0: Mm
5: -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Let's get back to a few poems.
0: I'm tempted to just ask you questions all night, but, but we, (laughs) we should read poems too. Um, So what are you going to read next?
5: Well, just so happens. This is one of the climate change poems Uh, on the rocks, a song of climate change. I hate ice and whiskey on my car, my nipples. Ice is water that's too good to look me in the eyes. Ice leads to hockey and hockey leads to Canadians with gap-toothed smiles. What do we say of the dead? Cold as ice. But ice doesn't deserve to be killed. First of all, it's fairly reclusive. Mostly hangs out at the poles. Without ice, there'd be no polar bears, Arctic terns, penguins. Watching penguins swim and not get eaten by orcas makes me happy. Watching orcas eat penguins make me believe the world is a self-regulating system, and I should mind my own business. Was a Ralph self-regulating system, and we did not mind our own business. What is our business? What do we add to the endeavor? Don't say cathedrals, Beethoven, two-for-one sales on diapers and Colt 45s. Do say carbon dioxide, heat, ignorance of our effect on whales, monarchs, winter. What if the world is a grape and we are a bruise? What if we're being given what we want most of all, we who are the memory singers, nostalgia machines, What if elegy is our calling and we need death to feed our desire to lament how good things were before cars, jiffy pop, fake tits, miracle grow, us? We tell one story Eden. Once upon a time, things were better. Once upon a time, our minds were simple and we were happy. Once upon a time, human nature wasn't what it really is, and that's all it took to live at ease in the garden. To not be us. If your nature is your danger, your gist a fist, your essence a essence pestilence, what do you do to not be you? Kill yourself or evolve. Sorry, I meant to write an ode, a ditty about something wild and pretty. That's how it is with us. We almost always mean well. To give strangers a ride, eat more vegetables, vacuum the house, not break the world. To be kind in that fabled, mythic thing, wise.
0: Thanks, Bob. And that was "On the Rocks," a song of climate change.
5: Um, do I do another one? Um... Sure. This is called a "Remedy." In deciding what I am, I've ruled out cat vulture, shoe, a sadist who tortures people to death in a Syrian hospital, a president who separates families at the border, a handful of purple irises at the beginning of the path to heaven. Is there memory in the shade of a tree of a lynching 50 years ago when I was nine? And do I love that tree, love the sinner, not the sin. Forgive the electricity, not the singeing of genitals. The more I know about human nature, the more I plan to be be tall grass in a field. Until then, I tell my wife I love her in Toronto and Blacksburg and bed, in pajamas and blue jeans and song, in theory and fact and dream. I will not gouge a man's eye out, I promise, yet the eye is out, the man is dead. And the geese I'm listening to have no idea that we're as wild as the coyotes that would tear them apart. If given a choice, I'd not choose to be human. If given a choice how to be human, I'd say like a glass of water. While I have no answers to the questions I don't know how to ask, I can love my wife in Detroit in general, in detail, in vain, in spite, in depth, in the shallow light of the moon in contrast to hating myself, in sympathy and in stealth, in time as a ghost and right now as a poet wondering if surgeons during a transplant tell the shivering and recycled heart it is loved. I assume so, but I've never asked a heart on its second time around. Were you christened? Were you blessed? Are you worth all this trouble?
0: And that was Bob's poem, Remedy. Uh, and this, these are all coming out from um, his book, Red Rover, Red Rover. Do you to read one more and then we'll talk a little more, Bob? Sure. Okay.
5: Genuflection, a song of climate change. If a forest falls and no one is there to catch it, if there is a last tree last leaf, if clear-cutting lacks clarity, if I am an accessory to murder, if a conditional sentence never finishes combing its hair, if a glacier dies in Alaska, if a glacier is killed in Iceland and buried at sea, if I like breathing, if I like coral, if I like liking the blue earth, if forests had lawyers... If trees were CEOs, if CEOs were angels, if an angel falls from heaven, comes to dinner, opens her chest, opens his mouth, and stars pour out, if heaven rises, if heaven prizes canopy, understory, overgrowth, if appetite, if covet, if capitalism is suicide by comfort, if shrug, if will you look at the time, if I abet extinction, if I am an, accept, an accomplice to poof, if trees are green engines out of every heart and lung, if clear cutting is our brains proving they are knock knock jokes, if who's there, if too late, if a tree is planted, if a forest is guarded by the Secret Service, if another tree is planted, If a forest stars in the next superhero movie and the sequel and the prequel and ta-da. If breathe, if you, if Eden, if grace, if the apple is the word apple, if a species falls and no one is there to notice, it is us. If I take a knee, if I die before I pray to wake, if I pray we wake before we die.
0: Thanks, Bevan. That was a genuflection, a song of climate change. Um, on the uh, stream here, um, Anne-Marie Champagne says, oh, shuck, she's, she, she realized this book is coming out two years from now or something like that. Um, she says she's going to be in a chronic state of longing until the new book comes out. Um, uh, can you talk a little bit about um, just, you're the, one of the most interesting poets I know in that you hate promoting your own work as much as I hate promoting my, my own work. Um, you you didn't want to um, you didn't want to read from your book that's just came out. You didn't want to read the book that's forthcoming. You wanted to read from the book that's forthcoming in two years. <laughs> um, yes. And you know you you um you hate AWP as much as I do. Um, when we interviewed you, you um you didn't want to look at the interview before we published it. Um, so so um talk a little bit about that. Like, why do you feel so? You know, so distanced from any kind of concept of um, self-promotion.
5: Um, part of it is just being a shy person. I have no interest in me being out and about. I I want people to read my poems. I want people to get something out of my poems. Like my poems. Love my poems whatever my poems, that it's not that. Um, But the me part of it is just not something I'm interested in. And I find it odd to try to do anything more than just write the poems and get them out there. Mm -hmm. I I don't want to ask people to like my poems, read my poems. Uh, That seems just um, bad form. Mm -hmm. And again, the, the two together. If I was more comfortably comfortable um, in front of people, maybe I, I wouldn't feel that way to the extent I do. Mm-hmm. But the combination is just deadly yeah. in yeah. terms of publicity. It's, I am not made to do this. Um, I got nervous even though I'm sitting in my <laughs> office alone. <laughs> I got nervous thinking about doing this. Um, I'm bugged by the little image of me that's up in the corner. Um, it doesn't, it's not where my energy really interest or energy lies. Mm -hmm. I love writing that part of this. I absolutely adore.
0: Well, well, you seem to be a a testament to how, how much self-promotion is unnecessary, you know? I mean, there's the idea that if you're not an extrovert who likes going to events, that you'll have no way of getting forward in the uh, literary world. Do you think, I mean, I can't imagine that it's held you back at all because you're one of the most well-known, most loved poets around. Um, Do you think that uh, it's held you back at all in any way? Or do you think that just writing itself poems that people enjoy is enough?
5: Um, I don't know. And to be, uh, I don't want to, don't want to lie. I have there have been periods where I've done readings, and some periods quite a few. I just I never took to it. Mm-hmm. And I've basically stopped doing that. And it stopping has brought me enormous pleasure. Um I don't know that I would recommend it though. It is it I don't know. This is tricky. There's so many people. Doing this, so many talented people doing this. And depending on one's ambitions, um, most of the people, certainly most students that I've worked with, mm-hmm. graduate students, they want this life. To get that, you need to publish books, and the books have to be noticed. By and large, you don't end up with one of these jobs if that's not the case. And you're, you're out there with many, many, many people trying to do the same. Uh, having said that, I think if it doesn't suit someone, you the bang for the buck, I've never really seen proof mm-hmm. that it makes a difference. I think what it allows people to do, being out there trying to do readings, doing readings, trying to um get interviews be interviewed all of all of the things we do i think it can make someone believe they've they've done all that they can Mm -hmm. and that can plague us one of the hardest things for us i think is to look back and feel we didn't try hard enough
0: Mm, yeah Let, let me ask you do you have a luck story because I've met a lot of poets who have a <laughs> luck story where their career sort of took off because of some lucky thing. I'm thinking in particular, there, there are a bunch, of, a bunch of examples. But one is uh, Ted Coozer, when he, we interviewed him. Um, he said, if I remember the story right, that at a book festival, um, the buyer for Barnes Noble just happened to pick up a copy of Delight and Shadows... Because she was like late for someone to pick her up, I think is the story. You have to look back. That's issue number oh thirty-two or something like that. But um, and so it was because she picked that book up and read a poem and she liked it, so she read another poem. So she bought it, took it with her, and decided to um, you know, she read the whole thing because she liked the one poem she happened to read that she happened to pick up, and then um, and then uh, she ended up putting it sort of in the front shelf of the Barnes and Noble as one of like the highlighted poetry things, and huh. uh, and then it became the the pulitzer prize winning book or whatever it was that year and that's when he became poet laureate but until then he was sort of a poet like anybody else who publishes really great books that people like but doesn't have a lot of recognition do you have any stories like that or um was there sort of a because originally you know people maybe don't know but you were um for 20 years or so you were a a tool and die maker for a for an auto um you had your own auto um die making business right um did you have any sort of lucky sort of thing that happened, or did you just sort of have a trajectory and followed it?
5: I, I would say that I have been lucky many times over in a much smaller, in mm-hmm. a much smaller scale. There's no, there's no event like that for me, um, and I did not. I think because of the way I came to this, to the public side of this. I also didn't have what I think a fair number of people have, a mentor or someone, a, a poet, an older poet, who notices them and kind of puts them on the map, selects a book and champions it, for, selects a book for a prize, champions it, that kind of thing. But I have, I feel tremendously lucky um, just the string of things that have gone on for me, um, it, to me, luck has so much to do with this. I've just been lucky many times over in this smaller, non-Barnes and Noble way.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and let me ask one more, which is really boring. <laughs> I mean. No, no, I no. That's, <laughs> that. that's, that's just interesting to hear. Um, so another question. This is from David Cook too. So he's kind of on a roll. This ties into what we were talking about <laughs> in this little segment. Um, so he says you've been a champion of solitude and doing your own thinking and writing for your own mind. Do you consider any of your poems especially inappropriate for
5: particular people? Um. Yeah, I consider most of my poems <laughs> inappropriate for most people I, I, I'm assuming by that he he means are there poems that um, I don't want certain people to see and absolutely um, one of my books is titled Sex and Love and and I really don't like the thought of my parents looking at anything in that book and fortunately they're, they're, they're proud of me but they don't really look too closely at the poems um, there are poems I would not publish while some people are alive it would seem needlessly cruel uh, what I have to say in those poems but for the most part I, if I write it and I believe in it I, I don't think of keeping poems away from certain people. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to answer a question when you can't um, ask the person who asked it questions about the question to get a better sense of what they meant.
0: I I think that's what you meant. Like, do you hold, do you hold back? I think that was the sort of, to me, that was the sense of the question. Like, are there any poems you don't publish? Are there poems that you like love, but you've never published because you don't want to, um, uh, you know bother anybody it, it's interesting because i have a whole book that i um haven't published i'm waiting for somebody to die <laughs> so uh
5: and it's probably you probably can't say oh i'm not going to say anything about it now. but uh yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not done
0: but it's like a half finished manuscript that i know well, you know at some point i'll publish but not for a very long yeah. time uh, do you have anything yeah. like that, that that you've held back because of that, that yes. you think is worth publishing but you haven't
5: yes yeah there are a few that i again i i'm in the same boat just it's a much smaller scale mm-hmm. does knowing that has that changed how you've gone how you've worked on that book um
0: i don't know i um i i guess there's no sense of um a pressure to finish it i guess that's a that's why it's right. not finished you know because i know i can't publish it anyway and i don't want to um For who knows how long, so um yeah, so so I just sort of sit on it and let it marinate and and um don 't really worry about it much, which is kind of nice, but it 's also I have no like motivation, so i 'm not working on it as much as right. I should
5: <laughs> right um yeah it 'd be interesting if the person turns out to be you. <laughs> Yeah. Well,
0: that that would be. I won't publish this <laughs> until book until I'm dead. I'm dead. Didn't, didn't, uh, talk... and I will do readings yeah. then. <laughs> yeah. I'll, maybe I'll record the readings and then and then publish them That's after right. the fact. You could set up the 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 YouTube to uh do it, you know, later so I could just re- do the whole reading. Um anyway, so I think you have 3 more poems you wanted to read. Do you want to finish up with that? Sure. Okay,
5: great. Uh this is called Oh My Papa. Our fathers have formed a poetry workshop. They sit in a circle of disappointment over our fastballs and wives. We thought they didn't read our stuff, whole anthologies of poems that begin, my father never, or those that end, and he was silent as a carp, or those with middles which, if you think of the right side as a sketch, look like a paunch of beer and worry, but secretly, With flashlights in the woods, they've read every word and noticed that our nine happy poems have balloons and sex and giraffes inside, but not one dad waving hello from the top of a hill at dusk. Theirs is the revenge school of poetry, with titles like My Yellow Sheet Lad and Given Your Mother's Taste for Vodka, I'm Pretty Sure You're Not Mine. They're not trying to make the poems better, so much as sharper or louder. More like a fish hook or electrocution. As a group, they overcome their individual senilities, their complete distaste for language, how cloying it is, how like tears it can be, and remember remember every mention of their long hours at the office or how tired they were when they came home, when they were dragged through the door by their shadows. I don't know why it's so hard to write a simple and kind poem to my father, who worked not like a dog, dogs sleep most of the day in a ball of wanting to chase something, but like a man, a man with seven kids and a house to feed, whose absence was his presence, his present, the Cheerios, the PF flyers, who taught me things about trees, that they're the most intricate version of standing up, who built a grandfather clock with me so I would know that time is a constructed thing, a passing, ticking fancy, a bomb, a bomb that'll go off soon for him, for me. And I notice in our father's poems, a reciprocal dwelling on absence, that they wonder why we disappeared as soon as we got our licenses, why we wanted the rocket cars, as if running away from them to kiss girls who looked like mirrors of our mothers wasn't fast enough. And it turns out they did start to say something, to form the words hey or stay. But we turned into a door full of sun, into the burning leave, and were gone before it came to them that it was all right to shout, that they should have knocked us down with a hand on our shoulders, that they too are mystified by the distance men need in their love. This is called meditation on dust. No rain in months, mistings, spritzings, but no rain. A trickle from our tap. Grass is brown, dust bullish. I expect to see Tom Joad with his thumb out for Cali. Crickets have been breaking into our house for the shade and vodka. The era of clear-headed skies. One blue thought all day, one dark wish all night. I'm considering having an affair with a dowsing rod. I'm considering this a spiritual quest. Jesus having visions in the desert, a woman named Sally having visions in the desert, the guy who makes art out of tin cans, the same. I've always wanted visions, not always not when I was two, not when I was a trout in my mother. But now that I'm a trout on my own, I want a vision. My soul leaves me and becomes a book of matches and the hand of a bored and pyro expressive kid behind a hotel in Rochester, Michigan, striking one of me after another and throwing me at the air, hoping to see existence catch and light up in a manner befitting the expectation that the body is a seed chalicing an inexhaustible shine. I also love the image of two people leaning together to light a cigarette in a hurricane, the little house of their hands sheltering the preposterous flicker as the storm plays its drum kit against their spines. Haven't you had Tuesdays like that, lovers like that, empty checkbooks like that? Isn't that the essence of waking up every day and putting on underwear and having coffee and knowing there's no manual or compass or street-smart kid coming to whisper the ways of the world to your ear? If I don't die of actual thirst, I'll die of medical th- metaphorical thirst or car crash or old age. See, life is full of options and death is full of nothing but the question of faith. Do you believe in more or less or more and more, in silence that is silence or silence that speaks? No rain in months, yet as the world unrivers, I hear flood. And this is called Worship. I stand under this tree missing prints, That tree missing Robert Frank. The sun touching me between the two missings, doubling who I am. A man taking inventory and a shadow planning its escape. I love the sun. No half measures. No, sure, I can explode some hydrogen and send light 93 million miles to your face if you insist. Imagine the sun needing meth to leave the house. Imagine Marie Curie on stage singing Purple Rain. Imagine Prince discovering radium. Imagine you don't know what animates any living thing. I know a kid who wants to be the Muslim Robert Frank. I gave him an SLR for his neck. He gave me photos of a man wearing nothing but a trash bag and a woman kneeling beside an open driver's side door. I stand next to his face and think it a shrine. I miss Stephen Hawking and Jesus, my cousin Ruth, Roberto Clementi, and Ali, in the days I am dead. I miss being in the service of Adams and the whispers that hold them together. I stand under this tree, wanting to be everything that tree trying to be the dot under an exclamation mark. I never met Eleanor Roosevelt or the nineteen forties, but miss them. It would jump at the chance to jump for any reason. Like right now, crows are going apeshit, and I just said that. And isn't it amazing that you know what I mean? My wife will wake soon, and I'll tell her the story of clouds gone by, and she'll tell me if she dreamed and if she dreamed what she dreamed, and we'll go on being here as long as we can. Would you get in a plane with Amelia Earhart? Yes, you would. You're brave. You have breath, which means you have terror. Despite that, what will you do today? Eat, look up, make the most of being the remains of a star. Ooh, thank you so much, Bob Hickok. Sure. Um, yeah. yeah thanks so thank much you. for
0: joining us today. I have, I have uh, no more questions because it's past the time I told you you'd have to be here. But... Um, <laughs> so, so first of all, John Lawson says, I'm so glad to find a reticent poet for a change. I was beginning to think the species had gone extinct. And uh, Eric Campbell says, uh, could you perchance tell Bob that Insomnia Diary is, in his opinion, one of the best poetry collections of the last 25 years? And thank you very much. So I, I agree with both of those comments. So I thought I'd pass them along.
5: Thank you very much.
0: Um, yeah, and thanks so much for your time, Bob. And I, I hope you uh, be sure. a guest on the show again. Thanks for staying late at the office uh, to to hang out with us. I, I appreciate it.
5: Oh, I was happy to. Thanks yeah, for having yeah, me.
0: Yeah, thanks, John. I'll see you soon, Bob. Thanks. Bye bye. So that was Bob Hickok with a with a beautiful reading. Um, I just love Bob so much. Um, let's see. Uh, the comments here yeah on rivers was a good word yeah i agree david it really on rivers beautiful beautiful word um so so uh that was bob hickok reading from his um his um forthcoming doubly forthcoming collection um red rover red rover which will not be out for two years i don't think it i don't think it's a publisher yet um usually his books come out from pit press or from copper canyon his his most recent book, let me throw this on the screen. Um, his most recent book from Copper Canyon press is hold. And, um, look at that great cover. Um, and he was also interviewed in, um, Rattle Number 29. If you want to want to learn more about Bob Hickok, his thoughts on poetry and life, uh, check out issue number 29 of rattle. It's still on sale It's seven bucks, including, uh, including, uh, shipping. And, um, there's a lot of glare on the screen, but uh, it's Marvin Bell is the other interview So to, in a tribute to visual poetry. So pick up a copy of that if you would like. Um, in the meantime, let's go to the open mic. Um, if you'd like to – let me put up the uh, – let me put up this uh, – yeah, so if you'd like to call in, I, I still haven't had anybody try calling in on a regular landline. But if you'd like to call in and, and chat or read a poem, especially a poem that's online, so I can put the text on the screen, just give me a call at 818-850-7727. If the timing happens to be perfect, and we're like in the middle of where I'm just rambling, I'll answer. If not, I'll just call you back in a few minutes when we're done with the, the, the poem we're reading at the moment. meantime, um, Joy Coulter wanted to uh call in over skype joy's been on before um and let me give her a ring uh just hang on one second i'm going to put everything on mute so you don't have to hear the terrible ringing sound but i'm going to give joy joy a call i think uh so the, the skype is ringing right now but you can't hear it thankfully because it's the worst ringtone on the planet and joy culture is on the line uh, hang on one second joy let me play you in i have your audio but don't have your video yet um, so, oh yeah, you're calling from, I think, if I remember right, South Carolina. Is that? I'm trying to remember everybody who calls. Let's see. Well, yeah, I can't see you, but we can hear you. So why don't you just uh, let us know what poem you're reading, and 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 we'll uh, enjoy the poem. Okay.
6: <laughs> um, well, since Thanksgiving is right around the corner, uh, I thought I might do something sort of in honor of Thanksgiving. Uh, With deepest, deepest respect to Alexandra Petrie uh, of the Washington Post, who wrote the article, Waging a Noble War Against Christmas Creep. Mm. And with uh, deepest apologies to Clement Clark Moore, who arguably penned the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas. Ladies and gentlemen, the name of my poem is The Coming of the Christmas Creep.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks, Joy. Let's hear it. (laughs)
6: Twas the 10th of November, and all throughout town were the typical fall hues of orange and brown. The neighborhood doors carried hay-bundled sheaves or wreaths covered in autumn flowers and leaves. School windows were speckled with posters and pictures of corn, harvest horns, and more Thanksgiving fixtures. The local fall festival would be here soon with rides and games for children that afternoon. The grocery store downtown had hoisted a sign saying, Thanksgiving sale, turkeys, 1099. The city and citizens in their own way prepared for the coming of Thanksgiving day. When subtly sudden, though I don't know when or just where it started or how it began, but at some point that day or while we were asleep, he snuck his way in town, the great Christmas creep. He's quite nondescript, neither dashing nor cute, just a schlub in a tinsel-down, jingle-belled suit, but to get an eyesight or earshot of that man makes one think it's Christmas for which I must plan. Somehow he released in the town's atmosphere that November means Christmas is pretty much here, and slowly but surely our focus saw shifts from turkeys and pumpkins to fir trees and gifts. Creeps creeping on each city sidewalk and street made us wish for snow and not leaves under our feet. The neighbors in school scrapped depictions of fall. Once the Christmas creep strolled past them, winter was all. Christmas wreaths were hung with icicle lights and children drew Santas and sleigh-soaring heights. Each storefront on Main Street had put up a tree with the brightest ornaments you ever did see. The local fall fest, now a winter bazaar, and that's not the strangest thing I saw by far. Creep crept into TV ads through local stations, pushed end-of-year sales alongside Christmas donations. He touted Black Friday to help store survive and so we'd forget Thanksgiving was supposed to arrive. The creep made the church bells ring old Christmas songs. Without even knowing it, I sang along so filled with the spirit of Christmas. Remember, when creep made this happen, it was not yet December. And right when I thought nothing else could be said, the creep turned the cityscape white, green, and red. The Christmas creep's treatment had sent my head reeling. I shook myself free from all this Christmas feeling, It seemed crazy he could get away with this, spinning Thanksgiving as a day no one would miss. I stood up to the creep, shouted, this can't be real. Hey, I love Christmas too, but dude, what's the deal? I reached to grab him and yelled, change it all back. But that creep, he's transparent, which botched my attack. The creep smiled and told me, my work here is done, but I'll leave you with one last word before I'm gone. Next year, when I come to make over this scene, I'm going to start sooner, before Halloween.
0: (laughs) That was really fun, Joy. Thanks so much for sharing that.
6: Thank you for having me, sir.
0: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, Yeah, call in again soon.
7: (laughs) Thank you, sir.
6: And have
0: a happy Halloween. I mean, not Halloween. (laughs) See, look what you did to me. Have a happy Thanksgiving. I should say. <laughs> See, Christmas creeps working on you already. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Thanks, All Joy. Right. Ha- have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> yeah, so that was Joy Coulter from uh, South Carolina reading, uh, oh, I don't remember what the title was, but it was a <laughs> a grinchy kind of uh, Thanksgiving poem. Thanks so much, Joy. That was a lot of fun. Um, Let's see. So if you'd like to call in, too, over Skype, just send me a quick chat message to uh, Rattle Poetry, all one word. Uh, It's really easy to do. If you'd like to call in over the phone, all you have to do, and I don't remember the number, so I have to pull it up, Um, the number is 818-850-7727, and uh, I'll answer if I'm in the middle of stuff, and uh, if not, I will um, uh, call you back later. Uh, So David Cook is going to do a poem, too. He just sent me a, a call. But I couldn't answer because I was in the middle of another call. Uh, Let's do one more. We have two more um, pre-recorded open mic poems. um, And let's keep the the Thanksgiving theme going on. And then We'll we'll do this one poem, then we'll get to... uh, We'll call back David Cook. So, David, uh, we're going to call you as soon as this poem's over. Don't forget about the 30-second delay, so the poem won't actually be over when we call you. Um, Now, this is a poem by Susie Berry from Glasgow, Scotland. And... um, Um, let's see where my little note goes she lives in Glasgow, Scotland uh, and that's really all I have on her but you can find more about, uh, about Susie Berry at serenesenses.co.uk and here she is really quick reading The Gobbler uh, here it comes
8: Hello everybody it's Susie Berry here and I just finished writing a little poem about turkeys so hope you enjoy it. This one's called The Gobbler. While you're enjoying festivities with mulled wine and cream, fevering mm-hmm. indignities, everyday atrocities, she's wondering where her brother's gone. He's asking what he's done wrong. To have his nose cut along with his toes. He'd be a good boy if he got the chance to prance like you at your Christmas do. If he wasn't cooped up, he wouldn't have to want a bust up. If he wasn't served with cranberry and brie, he'd gobble and wobble, fancy and free. Happy as Larry, like you and like me. So I just wrote that to um, kind of let people know what the current practices are in turkey and hen um, farming. It's really common knowledge that a lot of these birds will have their beaks cut off and their toes cut off. And it's to stop them from fighting when they are cooped up in these really small barns. And every day we can hear about people that will pay for hen fighting. And we'll think, oh, that's disgusting, that's really horrible. But actually when you go and buy birds, they will have had these atrocities done to them. They have no reason to have their birds' beaks and toes chucked up. But because of the demand that's there people
0: don't want to
3: educate themselves about what's actually going on in these farms,
0: then that's that's what's happening. Hello. Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to start that yet. So that was uh, Susie Berry from Glasgow, Scotland, reading The Gobbler. And um, you can find more of her work again at serene, that's S-E-R-E-N-E, census.co.uk. Now let's call up... Um, David Cook who had a couple of great questions for Bob earlier. Let's give him a call and uh see if he answers and we can get get audio and video going for him. So it's ringing in my ear just waiting for David to pick up. When I call you make sure to uh turn off YouTube when the as soon as Skype rings because we don't want the echo. There's about a 30 second delay. I don't think it's for any kind of uh F- FCC regulations or anything. I think it's just because uh that's how long it takes to to convert the stream into different whatever it's out oh, here. Here's David Cook. Let's see. Ah, oh, here he is. Hang in one second, David. Let me bring you in and you can say hello to everybody. Um, David Cook. Hello. Thanks again for calling. You called last week. Uh, it's great to see you again. Yeah. Thanks for thanks. And thanks for the great questions yeah. for Bob. Um, have you been a fan? I just, of, uh, yeah. Have you been a fan of Bob's uh, writing for a while?
9: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, last uh the the poem last last time was uh inspired by uh stop oh that's right one of yeah Yeah. i've
0: forgotten about that but yeah yeah so um so what do you have for us tonight
9: um i was thinking of uh i didn't send in any poems for you so i was thinking of just um reading some from uh kind of a thanksgiving poem
0: ah perfect yeah we, yeah, we want some thanksgiving poems that uh, where are you calling from again is it canada somewhere toronto area um is that right
9: calling from uh, portland oregon oh
0: portland oregon that's right okay well thanks for calling again i appreciate it and you got a great connection so it's really nice to to have uh have people be able to use skype and call in
9: okay so i just wanted to uh read one poem here it's called after i fixed what was needed in the garage, thinner smells slice, sharply axle grease and cornered cut dust. All the doors lay on bed sheets enameled, paint pools on their edges, swollen over hollow cores. Hinge pins fill a bucket, but the underside of the paint feels our finger smudge take Our spackle of abuses still tattoo the final skin. And it's the air I miss, the horse thick dust the couch coughed up, the rat furred silt on top of the door jams, the dry smoke air. Now the walls are soft, white, but the air is hard, sharp, tasting like chewed tinfoil. Every bit of softness in these walls took from my hands, the skin scales off around the thumbs. Every bit of gratitude I ever asked for sits on bare rafters. Move to the garage, where the water heater's insulation peels off like a skinned possum.
0: Thanks so much, David Cook. Uh, thanks for calling again and sharing another poem. I re- really appreciate it.
9: I'm trying to make a habit of this. This is uh, a really wonderful uh open mic and uh interview series that you have going on here and i would be remiss if i did not uh tune in every tuesday
0: awesome well thanks so much i really appreciate it um i'll see you again soon okay i'll talk to have you a later. happy uh Bye-bye. to wait in canada do you do thanksgiving on the same I'm week not, or is it already I'm, oh wait no I'm you're in portland in... <laughs> i keep I'm, I'm confusing you with somebody else who calls in from the toronto area frequently. so so you're from portland so you're doing thanksgiving um so have a great Thanksgiving.
9: Yeah, I'm actually driving down to uh down to um Oakland for Christmas and ah. I'm driving up to Seattle for mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. So it's definitely travel travel season.
0: Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thanks so much uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Have a good Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. okay Thank bye. you. Happy Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay, so let me see. I'm going to try to answer a phone call right now. Um I'm not sure if this hi. is going to work. Hello, uh, this is Tim Green with uh, Rattle, and you're on the line now. I hear you, um, and you're on the stream. Who is this calling? Oh, this is Carla Schwartz calling. Ah, hi, Carla. Thanks so much for calling in. Uh, do you have a poem for us tonight?
1: I do, and if you wanted to see it, you could go to my Instagram, CB99videos. That's Charlie brown 99 videos call. and and it's not the last post, but the
0: post just before that. Okay, I'm, I'm pulling it up now. We'll, we'll get it for everybody. So where are you calling from in the meantime? I see CB99 oh, I, videos, so here we go. Where are you calling from? Sorry. Oh, say that again, I'm sorry. Calling,
1: I'm calling you from Massachusetts.
0: Ah, well, great. Well, thanks so much for calling in. Uh, this is the first time anybody's called over the phone. I just bought the phone number last week. Oh, uh, so, oh, oh, so okay. I'm so glad that it works. So I'm going to put your phone... Let me hopefully... Um, Okay, so I, I have to let's see, your audio is still there and the poem is here too. So uh yeah, so the poem's on screen. Why don't you why don't you read it? It's the marches. do I have the right one?
1: It's a, it's, a, it's a poem called The Marches, yes. Perfect. And, and it just appeared in a in a journal called Adana.
0: Perfect. Thanks so much. why don't you read it?
1: All right. The most standout photo is of you holding up the cardboard. Ferme La Bouche your winter coat bulked on your shoulders, your hair dyed something like half-lead, half-copper penny. The crowd surrounds you like even more jackets. You, my mother, are the center, you and your poster. So many marches since 68 and now 50 years, but there would be more wars, more marches, Tears, disappointment, these days you would have plenty to protest. You might tweet your heart out, hashtags would replace your beloved soaps, and you would organize a busload to Washington. These days we use that jacket out on the boat to keep warm on a cold night. You should feel good, safe, having finally answered your own question. What country should we move to now?
0: That was awesome. Thanks so much, Carla. And, and tell me again, that was the marches by Carla Schwartz. Um, tell me again where that was published, because you know, I'm kind of distracted. I, I miss things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. The journal is called Adana. A D A N N A.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks. And- thanks so much thanks for uh, yeah. Thanks so much for calling in and uh, being yeah. our first phone call caller. Uh, that worked perfectly. Oh, thank
1: you, and thank you so much for running this Voltaf on the show tonight it was
0: fantastic yeah well thank you it's, it's my pleasure uh mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun to do and, and really easy this is my uh <laughs> in my house and i don't have to go anywhere and and uh it's really fun so thanks so much for for watching and for calling in and sharing a poem i appreciate it great okay bye bye okay. bye good night ah so that was uh carla schwartz again with uh, the marches thanks so much uh if you want to call in like carla did Uh once again the number is 818-850-7727. Um and we have to uh keep the length to under two hours for the show. So that's really the only limit. So uh 745 my time is the is the max because uh certain things only let you upload two hours. But otherwise we can just keep going as long as people want to call in. Uh, and thanks again to Carla Schwartz for calling in over the phone. Um now let me do a um another pre-recorded poem uh this is gonna be penny pazer who you might recognize that name because she has called before uh i think probably the same week she sent this poem in it looks like a sonnet uh again these over mics i have no idea what's coming up which is part of the fun for me um so this is penny pazer from los angeles california she's a writer actress and documentary filmmaker on uh, a 2008 winner of the uh Maria Faust Sonnet Contest. Uh, She's been published a bunch of places. You can find more at pennypazer.com, spelled uh, like you see her name on the screen, P-E-N-N-Y-P-E-Y-S-E-R.com. She's also at Sonnets Suburbia on uh, Twitter. Here she is reading a poem she sent in a few weeks ago called Overload.
7: Overload. Don't show me news about the national debt. Or latest scandal sexual or other it's not that i don't care or never fret but i'm on overload and it's a mother the hurricanes and fires that took a toll beyond what most can bear and tolerate and leaders whom we simply can't extol i'm yearning for the days of watergate why even richard nixon's looking good for all his faults and foibles, he was smart. He may have had a sense of what he should be doing, and he might have had a heart. When things have gone as low as they can go, thank God I've got a bottle of Merlot.
0: <laughs> so that was, uh, that was Penny Pazer from Los Angeles, California, reading her uh, sonnet Overload. Thanks so much for sharing that, Penny. If you would like to uh, do a pre-recorded poem like that, you don't have to worry about uh, being live anywhere. All you have to do is record it like on your phone. Using the voice memo on a smartphone is really convenient if you haven't tried that before. Uh, it's really easy to um, to record a voice memo and, and upload it or email it to somewhere and uh, send it to me. Just go to rattle.com slash rattlecast for the instructions on how to do that. Um, but you can always pre-record and then send the poem, too, and we can show it on screen as you read it. And uh, it's a lot of fun, so please do. Um, so no one else is calling in. I'll give you, like, one second if anybody wants to call in. The number again, I have to memorize this number, but it's 818 850 If you'd like to call in, give me a call right now, and you can be the last open mic poet. Otherwise, I'm going to go put my kids to bed. Um, if you haven't uh, liked or... Um, or shared or anything yet, please do click the like button. No matter where you're listening or watching this, that always is really helpful. If it's on iTunes, give it four stars. If it's on uh, YouTube, uh, click the like button. If it's on, uh, click the bell too and make sure you're subscribed. If it's on Facebook later, make sure you're following Rattle and uh, click the like button and share it with your friends because that's really the currency of poetry these days. We want to spread people's um, thoughts about the world through the magic of poetry as, as much as we can um, but I think that's probably all for tonight uh, thanks so much for joining us as always um, next week let me throw up a little uh, let me throw up that music really quick um, so so next week we have uh, Naomi Shihab Nye reading her new, from her new book The Tiny Journalist uh, Naomi if you don't know her we interviewed her in battle number 21 uh, a great issue back in the day that was the first thing I ever did as editor of Rattle. I um, proofread her interview before we published it. And um, Naomi is also currently, I think, the uh, Children's Poet Laureate, which is a project that the Poetry Foundation does. Um, and her newest book is The Tiny Journalist, which is about a, um, a child journalist in Palestine um, turning her reports from the front lines of that constant crisis uh, into poetry. So uh, tune in next week. on Tuesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, and catch Naomi Shihab Nye live. It's going to be a great show. Um, In the meantime, hope you have a great weekend and a great Thanksgiving, and I will see you soon. Good night.